Hi, welcome to Sustain Talks. Today I'm joined by Megan Eddings, founder and CEO of Excel Unite and Excel Lifestyle. When I first met Megan, I was blown away by her journey and enthusiasm for life and for business. I can't wait to get to share this story, how Megan's husband's stinky running shirt transformed her business into a sustainable one. Megan, welcome. I'm delighted to have you with me here today. Please uh, introduce yourself further and tell everyone about your story and how it started and who you are. Ah, oh, thank you, Sam. Thank you. I know it's just so exciting. I know when we first met uh, recently, you know, virtually, of course, because there's a pond, you know, between <laughs> us. It, immediately in the first like 30 seconds, we just became friends and we're, you know, so it's so cool um, just even meeting you and thank you for having me and sharing my story. Yeah, so I always laugh. I laugh. My husband doesn't laugh as much, but when I say my my entrepreneurial journey started with his stinky workout clothes, um, specifically his t-shirt. And I could make this story like three hours or three years, but I'll just make it succinct and we'll get into the fun stuff about sustainability. Uh, so yeah, Kyle's workout clothes stunk. Uh, we got married seven years ago. We all know that that kind of musty, mildewy smell. Um, if you buy a pair of socks and you can't get them ever smelling fresh again after wearing them, or you have like a running shirt, that's that polyester kind of dry fit wicking material. And then it starts to smell and you're like, I know I showered today. I know I put on deodorant. So I have a background in chemistry and biochemistry uh, from the University of Virginia here in the States. Um, and I just kind of put my science hat back on and tried to, tried to figure out why do our clothes smell and how can I develop something that feels really good against the skin and doesn't stink? So that was my first, my first point. And then it switched and went a little bit further. So what, what happened? It sure did. So I was basically obsessed with creating a fabric that doesn't stink. However, as we all know, when you're on like Google or YouTube or whatever, you kind of get sucked in. You'll, you'll type one thing in and two hours later, you're in like the dark web learning about things you even know. Existed. That's pretty much what happened to me. So back in 2016, 2017, when I was designing the fabric, the, I didn't have any entrepreneurial background, but just by, you know, your innate nature, I said, let me just Google and see what's out there today. What kind of fabric does the other companies use? And so when I was Googling, I couldn't help but basically get slapped in the face multiple times with um, articles on brands that we all know today that have gotten in trouble or a spotlight has gone on them um, for using sweatshops. And I remember, you know, I'm 41, so I was like, let's say 35 roughly at the time. And I love fashion. Um, I was absolutely guilty of when Forever 21 came out, going and buying as many clothes as possible because they were super cute, super cheap. And I thought if it you know, gets damaged after two nights of clubbing, then who cares? My mind has completely done a 180 because in, in thinking back to those days and then reading articles and then getting really just as obsessed with um, how our clothes are made as much as the fabric I was trying to design, it became extremely important to me. Yes, the fabric I'm going to design and invent, but even I would say just as equally as important, if not more, is that I had to put my head on the pillow every night and know that every decision I made to develop this fabric and develop this apparel had uh, humanity and the environment at, at the forefront. Um, I, there was this podcast I saw, and I tell everybody, it's called The True Cost um, on Netflix. 
And it, I still remember it from five years ago. I, anyone who joins my team, that's one of their homework assignments. They have to watch it. And it was just all about just sweatshops making our clothes, dyeing the fabric and the chemicals kind of leaking into the surrounding area and the local people that live there basically getting negatively affected. Um, so it was super important to me to have everything with humanity and environment at the forefront of, uh, of our creation. Yeah, that um, fast fashion business, it's really, um, it's been in the news here recently uh, with a couple of people that have really got big backgrounds in fast fashion and now they're moving into sustainability and they're like, and someone called someone out recently and I was like, good for you calling them out, you know, looking at these businesses and they're like, hey, we're all about the environment now. Like, hang on a second you're fa fast fashion you're using sweatshops you wouldn't be able to get it at the prices if you weren't um so so you you did something different right yeah i did a uh, couple things so in order for me to make sure literally that no sweatshops were used and that every partner that i used those that make my fabric, those that make my apparel. At the time, I was a company of one. So the only way to do that was basically have everything sourced and made in the United States because I live here. Um, I live in Texas. And so I uh, basically hopped on airplanes and would fly around to different factories and meeting with not only the, the factory owners, but also get a tour of the floor, see the working conditions, talk to the people who are making our clothes. And what I also found out was just because something's made, let me be very transparent, just because something's made in the United States does not mean it's not a sweatshop. Um, so we unfortunately found some sweatshops um, here in the United States. And that was really eye-opening to me that just because something's made domestically here or whatever country you live in doesn't mean it's made uh, and, it, and, it, and adhering to the fair labor uh, laws. And also, I guess, where the materials come from because just because it's there the materials could come from the other side of the world so you need to really look at the detail go right the way through your supply chain and I think you did that didn't you oh yeah uh, even our even our raw materials our fibers are actually sourced and made here in the states in, in non-sweatshops um, that was really important to us because you're exactly right in talking about you know we, we all we're on the computer, on our phone, on the internet, you know, all the time. And we're bombarded all the time with people, uh, you know, companies marketing bullet points. And now that I know enough to be dangerous, if I see a marketing bullet point on a company's website, let's just say around sustainability or marketing or reducing plastic, I'll go right to their website and try to find the, the details of what that means. And I actually get angered. Um, I get angered because they're, the marketing is brilliant. I mean, if I was not in the, the space that I'm in, when someone says they have a, you know, a fully transparent supply chain, my brother, actually younger brother, just took a sustainability globalization class. And he was telling me of some companies that you know, fully transparent, fully transparent supply chain, you know, no sweatshops, but they don't go back to the actual raw material. Um, they go back, they go back just enough in their supply chain of where it probably is ethical and transparent, and they're happy to share the, you know, the, the factories they use, but they don't go back to the raw material, you know, how that raw material is like harvested or created. Um, and so it's really important to us. If anyone has any questions, I mean, we share everything. I mean, our fabric is made um, on the East Coast, our apparel is made on the West Coast. And all of our raw materials uh, come from the East Coast. 
And we also use in our fabric Supima cotton, which is only grown here in the States. And I've actually personally visited Supima cotton farms um, and met with the farmers and the, you know, the whole family uh, just to kind of get to know even how the cotton is harvested. That's brilliant. And then uh, in COVID, your journey took a really different direction, didn't it? It sure did. Uh, so we officially launched our Excel lifestyle, the apparel business um, with the Prima fabric that I invented in 2019, August of 2019. So like a stone's throw before this thing called the pandemic. And so March of 2020 happened and uh, I had a consultant, a supply chain fashion consultant out of New Jersey, who's wonderful. And her sister was actually a nurse in New York City. And, you know, New York City got hit really hard, really quickly uh, with COVID. And so she said, literally in March, she's like, Meg, my sister, you know, sorry, she said my, the CDC came out the night before saying healthcare workers are running out of face masks. Um, they can't find the N95s. They're using T-shirts. They're using bandanas. And so my consultant, Melissa, she said, Meg, turn your fabric into face masks. And we did basically within 24 hours. Um, before my entrepreneurial journey, I actually worked in hospitals for 14 years here in Texas. So I have had and have wonderful relationships with people from the hospital world. So within, I mean, I say within six hours, my husband and I had a sample mask made, um, a prototype where we just found, I still don't know why we had rope in the house. I mean, we don't have animals, we don't have kids. We don't have an, we don't have a yard. So I have no idea why there was any rope in the house to the day, but maybe that was God. I don't know. So we literally took like rope, staple gun, found a pattern online for a face mask, cut it out. I can sew just enough to be dangerous. And then we had, we drove around in our Jeep, even though we shouldn't have been on the road, but we drove around in our Jeep and had my medical friends try on like certain masks, the samples that we made and give advice. So we pivoted to face masks. Um, Quickly, within a month, we got on contract with the U.S. military because they were having problems sourcing masks. Um, and uh, yeah, we sold about 700,000 face masks and on contract with the military still. Um, hospitals got our masks and uh, we donated thousands, probably 10,000 masks as well. So it was a, it was a beautiful experience to to be able to actually create something quickly that could help during the pandemic. But also something I didn't even see coming was we were able to employ a bunch of local sewers here in Texas that probably wouldn't have had jobs. Um, so it felt really beautiful to employ local sewers as well as my friends. I needed friends you know, to help cart around all the fabric, pick it up, pack the masks. So we actually packed all 700,000 face masks. We packed probably 500,000 out of my house. Wow, that honestly, to to act that quickly. And I think that's a, a big thing that now um, pivoting business, especially with sustainability, but it's really strange when you start when you started telling that story and you were talking about the beginning and when COVID really hit, it sent shivers through me. Like, I can't believe that was um, over two years ago. And what has happened in the last year how you know we've all been through it we've all been through the pandemic and now how the pandemic has helped us to really rethink the way that we run our business the way that we're more socially responsible more sustainable and how we can be better businesses um, and completely turn our businesses around you know two years ago I was 
well, two and a half years ago, I was doing something really different. Although I've been in this field, you too. So it's that sustainable, social, responsible journey that um, leads you to doing even more so what you're doing with the medical um, sustainability of products now. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, I used to wear Forever 21 clothes. I mean, I, yeah. I don't have any shame in what I used to do. Um, if you go to my closet right now, I mean, I don't like to throw, I don't, a lot of, I've just, my clothes in the closet are some of them probably made in a sweatshop. Absolutely. But I'm not going to throw them away and then contribute to the landfill. So I never say, you know, you have to be perfect in everything you do. But we're all to be mindful to the smallest changes that have such a huge impact that that people you know just can't even imagine. I mean, an example you touched on it earlier is, uh, and I we both kind of touched on it about marketing. That a lot of companies say, you know, I'm going to reduce. I'll just give an example. You know, we'll do zero plastic shipping by 2030. I've seen this, and it angers me. It takes a lot to get me angry. You probably can get the vibe. Because we've been doing zero plastic shipping since day one. Um, it was important to us if we're going to ship out a shirt or a face mask, you know, for Excel lifestyle, then, I mean, I don't want to have plastic there. So how can I be doing the best for humanity and the environment? And I'm wrapping it up in plastic, which will sit in our landfills for like 800 to 1,000 years. So if my team and I can figure it out, then these huge behemoth of companies can easily figure it out. Heck, shoot me a private message. I'll tell you what, what companies I use for my, you know, my sustainable um, biodegradable packaging that's the thing like there's this whole and it honestly it angers me too and I get really frustrated when companies are like yeah you know we're gonna get to net zero by 2050 and I'm like well why why are you waiting that long we're you know we're gonna be in real trouble if we wait till 2050 and there's other things that, you know, when you think about diversity and inclusion and um, fair pay and things like that, do it now. Right. Show um, the salaries of all of your staff. Make sure it is fair. Like, what are you waiting for? That whole sort of, um, there's so much talk I put a post out uh, yesterday, I think it was, that companies are making claims that they don't even know how they're going to get there and the investigations of that are going on into those claims it's like this is impossible why are you making the claims if you haven't put the plan in place and I get really annoyed by that or even like with my science background this was a big one during the pandemic companies making claims uh from a from a scientific standpoint and then I ask them for the third party data. Just show me the third party data. Like show me where that claim came from. Yeah. And I'm still blown away of how many companies would not give me the third party data. Or one of the companies actually finally admitted they didn't have the data. Yet it was on the homepage of their website, these claims. And I thought, wow. And so, you know, I think the more we talk about it, um, the more people will be aware and then people will start asking more questions. Just because you read something on someone's homepage, have the strength and the courage, you know, be inquisitive, ask questions, send them a message, say, you know, send me the details of where this came from. And uh, it's just fast. It's unfortunate that we can't trust what, you know, companies are always putting on their website, but it's so cool that we have platforms like yours and platforms we can actually have these honest conversations and kind of empower other people to uh to ask questions yeah i um i'm seeing so many more people being brave enough to call companies out and i call stories out but not necessarily 
people. You know, I think give people the opportunity to, you know, if you call someone out and you, you if you call a situation out and then you let everyone think for themselves, they can all see the story. They can all see it's out there. They know what you're referring to. Um, right. And, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner, so I obviously can do that. A lot of people can't because they're, they're working for companies but I do think it's important to call out the greenwashers and you know make sure that you stand by your claims um mm -hmm. I just want to uh, move a little bit deeper on yeah. because obviously you then moved into um yeah. more into the medical um uh, provisions with the the gowns it just I, I was in you know hospitals for 14 years and I say healthcare sucked me back in but I, I yeah. love it I mean I I, it, I knew if, I knew in my gut in 2019, or even before then, when I was developing the antibacterial fabric, I knew there were so many usages for it beyond just, you know, workout clothes. And so I, I mean, just being in the healthcare world, I knew we'd eventually get there. Never thought it would be that quickly. Never thought it would be because of the pandemic. Um, so in August of 2020, a hospital system here in Texas reached out to me. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And the gentleman said, uh, well, they knew who I was. I was the mask lady in Texas. And they said, hey, you know, we need face masks. And I said, great, you know, how many? And by then our, our uh, quality was much better. Our supply chain was getting better. Um, so I'm like, sure, how many do you need? And he told me. And I tell you to the day, I swear it was divine intervention um, because something made me ask him the question, what else do you need? And we weren't offering anything else. I mean, I didn't have like, you know, a jacket full of like knockoff watches. I mean, like I, we didn't have anything besides <laughs> face masks. And so something made me ask the question and it wasn't a video call. It was one of those calls like, you know, I have like the 1995 headset that with the big cords and all that. So he's like, actually, we need isolation gowns. And I can tell you where I was standing in my house. So I run over to my desk, which is now my kitchen table. And I type in like, what the heck's an isolation gown? And so I'm kind of asking him some questions, qualifying questions as I'm Googling what's an isolation gown. And basically I'm like, oh, okay, it's the, it's the plastic gown that a healthcare worker puts on. It goes up to their neck, basically down to their mid calf. And they said they were running out of these disposable single use plastic gowns. And the challenge is and was um, that they're sourced from Asia, like 98% of all single use disposable gowns come from Asia. And as we all know, just supply chain issues of coming out of that you know, area of the world, they were fearful because if they're running out of gowns, they're running out of protection for their healthcare workers and everybody around them. So basically the guy said, uh, he's like, yeah, isolation gowns. I'm like, great. And I said, let me see what I can do. And so he said, uh, well, just make sure they're reusable, not disposable. And so I said, okay, so there's such thing as a reusable gown. Didn't know that. So I get off the phone. I call a buddy of mine in North Carolina because I knew that his company pivoted to making gowns for FEMA. And so I called him and I said, yo, Chase, I'm like, you got a 50-50 shot to get this answer right. The gowns you're making for FEMA, reusable or disposable? He said, reusable. I'm like, whoa, I'm like, send me five overnight right now. So literally he sends five gowns overnight. And I'm like, oh, so my team and I are like, you know, trying them on. I'm like, well, this is what it feels like. It's like a lightweight polyester, feels good. I send it to the hospital and, uh, you know, it's funny. I was acting like I was, I was this huge conglomerate of a company comes to find out. I mean, any, everything's on Google. Like they yeah. knew I was being scrappy, but they loved it. So I send them the gowns, make a long story short. They said to me, um, we're going to trial your gowns 
and two of your competitors' reusable gowns in four of our largest hospitals. So send us more gowns. I'm like, okay. I'm like, yo, Chase, send me 20 more gowns. So they send the gowns. We ship them up to the hospital. And to the day, two weeks later, it was a two-week trial. They tried our gowns and the two competitors' gowns. And to the day, I have no idea why we won. It's kind of like the sales in me background. It's like when they say you got the order, you just zip your mouth. You don't say anything else. I still have no idea why our gowns won. So they're like, your gowns I'd say won. it was you. <laughs> I, maybe. I mean, I'm good at the jokes. I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's the scrappiness they liked, even though at the time I was trying to project that I was like this huge, you know, whatever. But anyway, that's the fun of it. And so they then said, uh, their infection control team specifically, we love this gown, but it was so cool because it was their first time using a reusable gown. So them looking at it was almost like a child looking at something for the first time, that they looked at it in a very simple and meaningful way. And they said, Meg, they're like, we love the reusable gown, but why are there ties behind the neck? So the standard style of reusable gowns everywhere, you put the gown on in front, you tie it behind your neck in a bow, and then you secure it kind of towards the back, et cetera. Well, the problem with that is the whole purpose of these gowns is to cover your clothes and any kind of liquids or microorganisms don't get on you. So if you have sleeves on and you're around a, a, a patient that may be contaminated, and then you go to remove your gown, you're now putting your potentially contaminated sleeves up by your face, trying to find the knot. So not only are you putting your arms by your face, it also takes a little bit of time to try to find that bow, that knot, et cetera. And so they said, Meg, could you design a new style of reusable gown? You know, one that's better for infection control and, um, you know, lessening cross-contamination. Well, because my team and I, again, got scrappy and gangster and we did our fitness apparel, we learned a lot about pattern making just during that process and be involved in the whole process. So I was like, yeah, no problem. Um, so we worked with the hospital for about eight months to design a new style of reusable isolation gown. And it's now uh, patent pending in 153 countries. And we just officially launched the gown in October of 2021. It took like anything in the entrepreneurial journey much longer than expected, um, but, but we love it. And so yeah, now isolation gowns, sustainable, reusable. It can be washed in the same commercial laundry system the hospital's already using with the, with the you know the scrubs, the sheets, the linens, and uh, it's tested up to 100 washes. And I just sent my uh, lab an email yesterday thinking about our call today. I'm like, well, if it passes 100 washes, can it pass 150 washes? <laughs> We're now going to start doing even more tests to try to um, see if it passes even higher amounts of washes. Oh, fantastic! And that. I mean, <laughs> that's going to be life-changing for sustainability, especially, you know, when you think of the number of, how many gowns are used each year? Girl, the hospital system that reached out to me, we're using 12 to 15,000 single-use plastic gowns every day. Oh and, my God. I and that was during the, yeah, that's about 2,000 pounds of plastic they're throwing away per day. Wow. And so when it's not the pandemic, they use about nine to 10,000 gowns. So it's not like it drastically changes. But um, for example, I believe it's a million, a million disposable gowns equals about 100, roughly 130,000 pounds of plastic. And, you know, as you and I know, plastic sits in landfills uh, for 800 to 1,000 years. 
And in the United States, I can't speak for the world, but in the United States, only 9% of plastic is actually recycled. The rest of it goes to landfills. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, I, I hope that we can find a way to work together to get the gowns over here in, into the UK as sustainable as we, we can. Um, uh, honestly, you, you inspire me so much. I love the way you've pivoted your business. I love the work, like all of the things you're, you're just like, oh, we could do that. Oh, we could do this. And it, it's the way that um, myself and my business partner work all the time. But um, you inspire me. Who inspires oh. you? Oh, my gosh. Do you know, I don't know if anyone has ever asked me that question before. Isn't that funny? Mm. Uh, Quite frankly, the first two people that come to mind are my mother and my mother-in-law. Uh, because even though as an entrepreneur, I work all the time, but there are many people that I follow on social media that I've never met before that inspire me. But my personality, my perseverance, my positivity definitely comes from my mom. Um, she you know, didn't go to college. Well, you don't know this. She didn't go to college. She's the oldest of 11 children. Um, you know, grew up with not a lot of material things, but with a lot of love. So my positivity, which has served me very well in my life, definitely comes from my mom. And then my mother-in-law, she, uh, she basically reinvented herself at like late 50s, left Illinois, moved to Florida, which just it's like a 20 hour drive, became a real estate agent and literally gets like top one, top two awards all the time for real estate. And I'm just so proud of her because you know, she's obviously, I mean, she's not, she's over the age of 60 and she's still killing it. And she doesn't let age define who she is. So I would say from a personal standpoint, definitely my mom and my mother-in-law. Um, and then as far as a cheerleader, I wouldn't be doing this without my husband. He is, uh, no, he's not part of my LLCs, if you will, but he's an entrepreneur as well. So we thrive in this world and we love, um, I guess, the byproduct of inspiring other people even though we love creating and building, what we really love is sharing our story uh, in the hopes of inspiring and motivating people just to, to, to be happier or do things or break through that one step of fear to take the next step. And then to also let them know, you don't have to make a huge change to make a huge change. It can be the smallest change to make a huge change. I absolutely love that. And I, I could just speak to you for hours and hours, I really could, but I, you know, I'm so thankful to have met you. This this crazy world of virtual meetings, it enables people like me and you to meet, and I'm right. so glad that I get to share your story, and, you know, I, I hope that we can bring uh, XL Unite into the UK um, and work together. I really, really do, because you've got some amazing products, and you you really are an inspirational Thank you so much for sharing yeah. this today. Thank you. And I want to take a minute just to thank you. I mean, obviously I met you via Pat Wills, who's on my Excel Unite team. He found you on LinkedIn, how this happened. And just thank you for everything you're doing for kind of getting, getting the word out there, giving people a platform to actually share how to be more sustainable and just how important it is you know, to preserve this earth that we have now for, for ourselves and our future generations. So thank you for giving us all the platform to share our story. So thank you. It is my pleasure. And uh, I hope to speak to you very soon. Have a good day. Thank you. You too, Sam. Bye.